Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Academic Life Channel here on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Dana Malone. Today, we'll be talking to Jennifer Van Alstyne, a communication strategist and consultant. We'll be talking with her about what she does at her company, the Academic Designer LLC. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, Dana. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today because having an online presence is something that benefits a lot of academics, but it's not something that they get training in oftentimes. And so um, my business really helps with that process and helps facilitate that for people who can't do it themselves as well. Um, I, I really love working with professors. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. Wonderful. We're excited to have you. I wonder if you could begin by telling us a bit about yourself. Sure. So my name's Jennifer, everyone. I live in San Diego, California, and my company, The Academic Designer LLC, works with grad students, professors, and scientists on how to manage their online presence in academia. So how to share things like their research and their teaching but especially in online spaces. And I like online spaces because it has the potential to reach more people and it has potential to reach them at all times of the day, whenever it's convenient for them. Like when someone Googles you, maybe if they're coming to meet you at a conference or a talk. So it really makes a difference having an online presence, but most professors are really busy. They don't have the time to put all of their energy into social media oftentimes, and and that's fine. If that sounds like you, like you're not alone. Uh, But for many people, having an online presence that allows people to read things like their publications, to get in touch with them, and to understand a little bit more deeply about the work that they do makes a huge difference. Well, thank you. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you do through your company? And um, I know you have a lot of different offerings. Um, so maybe you want to talk about you know, how those have um, developed for you over time? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So actually, when I first started my company back in 2018, I thought that I was just going to be building some professor websites. Uh, I had 
taken on this role in my academic department, which was English, um, at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette uh, for professional writing. It was the first time that they were implementing um, a team to do writing for the department. And that included things like the website, social media, um, and external communications. So we were really hitting the ground running with strategy and trying to figure out what was going to make a difference for the professors, grad students, and undergraduate students who were in our department. Um, That role was perfect for me. I got to grow a lot. Uh, But afterwards, my fiance was still finishing his PhD, and I didn't have another role that I wanted to step into where we were living in Louisiana. At that point, I realized starting my own business and building some websites for professors, something that I really enjoyed doing, would be a good opportunity to learn new skills, to work with more people that I cared about their research, and to really help people get the word out there. Um, So that's how my business started. And it's evolved over time into something that is so much bigger. Um, And it's evolved based on the needs of the people that I've worked with. So now I offer social media services, personal website services, website redesign services for, you know, labs and research centers. I just love my work. I even get to go in and train groups on university campuses about how to have a better social media presence or how to really think about how their online presence can make an impact for their work. Wow. Um, That sounds great. Thank you. So why, why is having a strategy to your online presence so important today? Ooh, that's a good question. I think when people think about strategy for an online presence, a lot of the times they're thinking about companies and businesses and how they're going to sell things. But for academics, they're really trying to reach more people with their research, their teaching, with their publications, and the service work that they do with who they're trying to help. That kind of impact is great on your on your university campus. But when most people reach me, they're they're hoping for a wider reach. They're hoping to help more people, whether that's more professors who are in their field, more graduate students in the in the type of area that they're hoping to be mentors in or more people who are going to benefit from the research that they do. And sometimes it's all of the above. When you have an online presence, you have more control over the message that people get to learn about you and get to understand about you. Um, It's like an invitation to encourage them to explore your work. And so having that online presence and having it be based on your goals and what you actually want for those people to engage with you is that strategy. So when I talk about how I do strategy for professors, for researchers and scientists, we get to talk about what their goals are, what's going to make sense for for them long-term, what makes sense for their lifestyle. A lot of people don't have time in their days. So where is their energy going to make the most impact? That's what I'm really interested in. And that's why I love working um, with such busy people. It really allows me to be creative and find new ways for them to communicate. Are there any downsides to it to, you know, for folks who might be hesitant about, you know, putting, you know, there are still people in the world, uh, you know, I think today who are a little hesitant about putting, you know, so much about themselves out on out there, you know, online. Is there are there any downsides or what would you say to those folks who are hesitant about that? Um, so that's a great question. I get I get that question a lot, actually, because most of the people who are coming to work with me, especially on social media 
are those people themselves. They feel quite uncomfortable. Maybe they have an online presence in some way, like they created a social media profile on Twitter, but they don't use it because they're either anxious to post, they're anxious about what people will react to what they share, um, or they just don't know what to say. And that anxiety from not knowing is stopping them from actually sharing. So that's quite common. There's also many people that just don't want to be on social media or they don't want to have an online presence. And they're quite comfortable um, with how people are learning about them already. And they, they've managed to build quite intricate and extensive networks doing that. But so many people are introverted. So many people are new to the field or just coming up. And having that online presence gives them more control. But it's not required for everyone. So that's really where I like to talk about the spectrum of, of where people are actually at. Um, a lot of social media trainers at universities will come in and say, this is the way to do it. Um, but I actually come in and say, you know, if you don't want to be on social media, that's okay. Um, and so it's a very different approach that I take to working with professors about their online presence, because I know that no matter what, there's going to be people who will never be on social media, who will never want to put more energy into sharing their work online. And that's okay too. Um, I really like to respect where people are at and give them options for managing their online presence that might not involve so much time. And I'll give you a good example of that. So if you don't want to be on social media, you don't want a website, you don't want to be on LinkedIn, I hear you. A really great option for you to manage your online presence is to have a new and updated bio each year. Most people think of a bio as a kind of static document, something that doesn't really change often unless you update it, something that goes maybe before a presentation or goes online when you publish something, but it's not actionable. In reality, a bio helps people learn more about you, but it can also help people take the next step in connecting with you. You can share your email with them. You can share ways to get in touch with you. You can share what topics you'd like to connect with them on. So a bio can have really long reaching impact. It often shows up on Google. It's in conference programs. So it's somewhere that shows up online, but you don't have to manage an account or profile in order to have control over that. So there are ways to manage your online presence that take a much less amount of time and that don't actually require you to be online yourself. And so I always like to encourage people to explore where their comfort level is, where their time and effort um, is going to play into that decision and how they actually want to spend their energy on their online presence. And sometimes it's just a bio. Thank you. I um, hadn't that's a lot to think about, about a bio. I have never really thought of it as so, um, yeah, useful and dynamic in that way. I think for a lot of us, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, you have so many places that, you know, require your bio. I just submitted proposals today for one of my uh, professional organizations. Um, and you know, there's always, that's one of the first things you got to put in there. So, um, thank you. That's a, a definitely, um, a different way to, to think about, um, the bio. And so what are some indicators for folks, um, that working with a communication strategist might be beneficial for you? So, you know, kind of like signs and telling signs that this might be something useful for you to consider. That's a good question. I think that most people 
think about working with me for a long time before they reach out. And that's because they're really not sure if they need help or if they want to do it themselves. So that's actually where I suggest people examine what their interest level is. If you're someone who wants to read a lot of articles about social media and keep up to date with things and um, test out new things by following people and admiring their work, then doing it yourself social media is probably going to be a great option for you. There's a lot of resources out there for people to learn how to have a better online presence. However, a lot of those resources are geared towards businesses. A lot of those resources are geared to geared towards people who may have a little bit more time in their day to um, create content and to actually put themselves out there on social media. It's also geared towards people who are looking to share quite a bit about themselves and to share consistently. Uh, but a lot of the people that I work with um, feel anxious about that kind of learning, but also about that kind of consistent posting. And when they come to me, it's because they're really not sure where their energy is going to be best focused, or they really want to learn a platform and they want to learn it quickly. Like within an hour, they're, they're not looking to spend you know a couple of months researching and improving their Twitter performance. Um, so people come to me because they really want to know what to do and they want to know how to do it quickly um, and have someone actually tell them how to do it um, in a way that they don't have to go out and seek all of that information themselves. Uh, so it's really about what you want to learn and how you want to learn it. Uh, some people who work with me enjoy consultations, so it's mostly talking and one-on-one -on -one training. But a lot of people choose the strategic social media plan, which is more of a done-for-you service, where I focus on interviews with you, and then I actually go back and do all the research and put together a like a playbook, um, a step-by-step -step guide for how to engage your audience on social media or on your website and how to you know, make that kind of lifestyle work for you long-term based on the goals that you have and what you want to share. Um, now, sometimes that's sharing a lot and sometimes that's not sharing very much at all. But there are things like having a filled out LinkedIn profile or having a filled out research gate or academia edu that's going to make a lasting impact on your social media without having to post consistently. So there's a lot of choice for what social media platform to be on, uh, how much time you're going to spend on it, and what content you're going to create for it. When you work with a strategist, you know that those choices are going to be based on your goals. It's going to be based on your needs and the people that you want to reach. Hmm. So I'm thinking about, I have some friends in the field who are, you know, they're job searching and they're, they're working with um, you know, various people in that process. And, you know, and it seems, you know, it, it seems very timely that, you know, part of that process is really revamping, like you're on making sure going like a review of your online profiles. So do you work with folks? Or do you get clients who are, you know, really uh, focused on this in an intentional way because of the job search? And does that does that change um, the strategy at all? Some people approach me because of their job search, and I actually say it's not the right time to work with me. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't help people who are going through job searches. It just means that I may be helping them with something that's not going to directly affect the specific job search that they're in now. Um, so let me explain that a little clearer. Uh, when 
a graduate student uh, last month approached me for a personal website. They're hoping to go on the academic job market, and they thought that their personal website would be the investment that helped them get a job, it helped be more attractive to search committee members. But they didn't know that, for instance, public universities may not be allowed to look at a personal website when reviewing job application materials. So even though they wanted a website and they thought that it was going to directly affect their academic career search, it may not in the time frame that they needed it to, to actually happen. happen. Um, so I encourage them to put more work into different areas of their online presence and to return to a more robust website when they were ready, um, maybe when it wasn't so career search oriented. Um, and that's because they were on the academic job market um, and their career search was happening right now. They needed something that was going to be ready and up and you know, available to be looking at um, in about a couple of weeks. It just didn't make sense for that kind of project to be where they were focusing their time. Um, so sometimes I have to turn client projects down because it just doesn't make sense for their primary goal. And because their primary goal was that job search, I knew it wasn't the best fit. However, I have clients who are in later stages of their career who are looking for promotion or they're looking for a career transition. And so that is a point in which strategy for a personal website can really make a difference. When you're trying to talk to a lot of audiences at once, like with a personal website, having really clear communication, clear navigation, and a bio that explains who you are and invites people to explore your website further, it can make a really big difference for your career search because a lot of different people may be looking at it. Hiring managers, potential colleagues, people you do informational interviews with. There's so many different people in a non-academic job search who are going to look for your online presence because it's more of a regular part of that process. Process. So having an online presence when you're thinking about a career transition or starting a new career search a little bit later in your career can make a difference. Um, and so it really depends on what your immediate professional goals are and when you need it done by. Hmm. That's, um, thank you. That's very informative. Um, you know, I hadn't thought about just the, the different you know, things to focus on at different points of, of the career. Is there anything else that might be helpful to talk about um, while like lingering here about different career folks at different points in their career um, and how, you know, your online presence shifts and changes depending on where you are at that point or what maybe you should focus on at different times in your career? Absolutely. So I can actually share the advice that I gave with that PhD student who had approached me. Uh, because their primary goal was the academic job market, I wasn't trying to say that a personal website wasn't good for them long term. It was more that their personal website wasn't going to help the small select audience of committee review members that were going to be looking at their applications. It was such a limited number of people that putting so much energy into that project in such a short amount of time probably wouldn't make sense. But I actually recommend personal websites for most graduate students, um, especially if it's something that you want to develop as a skill. Having a personal website helps you communicate with everyone. So it's not just your colleagues or, or you know, your, the people that you're going to meet in your field. Um, it's your family. It's your friends. It's anyone who may be interested in learning a little bit more about you. 
So thinking about your online presence as early as high school is actually recommended. They recommend that you create a LinkedIn profile in high school. Um, so I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't have an online presence as early in your career as you feel like you should. Um, I encourage people to develop these skills whenever they have interest in them. Um, now with grad students, your personal website might be smaller than someone who has a lot of things to share. Um, and that's not to say that you can't have an extensive website as a grad student. There are plenty of grad students who have blogs with hundreds of posts and um, really put a lot of energy into creating content for that online space. But you can also have a really simple one-page website. A, a great, easy-to-use website builder for academics is called Owl's Town. I mean, it makes it really easy to just throw up your, your headshot and your bio um, and social media links so that you can have the online presence that is going to make a difference, again, for all those people around you. And that includes your family and your friends. Now, when you're later in your career and you have multiple research interests and you're teaching in different areas and you really want to communicate all of the work that you do, a much more extensive website is typically needed than professors think. And I'll give you a really good example. Um, one of my favorite clients last year is a, a political, political science professor at a small liberal arts college, and he came to me for a website redesign. He thought that he was going to just need maybe five or seven pages, but the strategy we ended up coming up with was 22 pages. He actually had that much research, information, and student resources that he wanted to share on his website and that were going to directly help each of the audience members he was really hoping to reach. So the website that people think that they need is often different from the website that is going to be most beneficial for their long-term goals. And really thinking about that before you get started on your website is why I recommended that grad student wait, because thinking about your goals does take time. Thinking about who you want to reach is a really introspective thing that when I'm even talking to academics for the first time about it, they don't even consider all the audiences they already have. Um, so it can make a really big difference to have that strategy when you're thinking about audience, when you're thinking about what your goals are. I just love working on these types of projects because what I've noticed is that everyone's different. Everyone needs different things. Are there are there um, other maybe misperceptions, common misperceptions that you've come across in, in your experience that you feel like you need to address with folks or that have, you know, repeatedly come come up for you in your work? Well, I can tell you the most frustrating one is when on Twitter or other social media platforms, um, academics ask for any personal website is an example to make their own from. Um, this is a really common practice on social media, especially on Twitter, um, but it's one that can actually send people down um, a, a lot of work in the wrong direction, I think is, is how I'll phrase that. Uh, for example, um, there was a really lovely grad student who had crowdsourced one of these lists. Um, and I remember at the time being a little bit concerned about it because they were getting so many examples. I just thought, oh, that's probably going to be overwhelming. But what ended up happening is they saw so many things that they liked. They created all of these graphics that, um, you know, had 
text embedded in them. And they used graphics to actually create all of the content on their website. So their website was a series of images. Now, when you have a series of images on your website, it probably looks how you want it to, but it's not communicating how you want it to because Google isn't going to pick up any of the words in your graphics. And people who have disabilities that don't allow them to read the the, the things that you have on those graphics, they're, they're not necessarily going to have alt text that's going to help them navigate your website. So when it comes to that larger goal of helping reach people when it makes sense for them, having them be able to explore your website with ease, um, that's just not going to happen sometimes. So when you crowdsource website examples, sometimes you get what you, what you want in terms of the look, but it's not actually going to meet your goals uh, because for instance, in this example, none of the text that for including her name, none of the text, including her name was on the website in a way that people could actually read. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hmm. So I I want to switch gears just a little bit because... Um, you know, as a part of these episodes where we are focusing on academic entrepreneurs, you know, it, there are sort of two threads that we kind of explore in these episodes. Um, the first is, you know, sort of what you do, like your business and your areas of expertise and how that's beneficial to uh, folks in the field. Um, so communicating your online through your online presence, that we, like we've been talking about. But the other thread that we like to explore in these episodes has to do with just you know, the reality um, of being an academic entrepreneur and the path to, to that um, place and, and the journey there. So, you know, you have two master's degrees and you've spent many years in the academy and in academic spaces. Was starting your own company that services higher ed always part of your career plan? It wasn't. Um, I was very set on being a poet, I would say, when I went to my MFA program. Um, and I fell in love while I was there with someone who was already going to a PhD program in Louisiana the following year. Um, so I made the decision to follow him to Louisiana and did a second master's degree when I got there uh, because I had a second research interest in medieval literature, especially landscape and medieval literature. And I wanted to explore that more while I was there. Um, so my plan was always to continue in academia. It actually wasn't until I landed in this role uh, doing professional development for my academic department that I realized how much I loved it. There was something different uh, for me working one-on-one -on -one with a professor or working one-on-one -on -one with anyone. Working one-on-one -on -one with a client made such a difference for how engaged I felt with my work um, and how inspired I felt uh, that I knew that it was something I wanted to explore further. Now, when I started my business, I didn't actually think that I was going to continue long-term. I thought it would be for one, maybe two years, and then maybe I would look for some full-time work. Um, this grew into something that I love and that is sustainable, but it didn't start out that way. And it was a struggle for the first couple of years to 
find the balance of of making things work because I, I really didn't know a lot about business and I had to learn a lot. I had to meet a lot of people and um, explore a lot of new topics to be able to make things function. Um, so it, it really felt like a, a totally new learning experience, um, figuring out contracts and accountants and, and, and how to work with clients, um, making sure everything was running smoothly uh, was a learning curve, but the kind of, kind of learning curve I knew that I just wanted to dive into more. And so here I am four years later, um, still loving what I do and, and still learning, but I think that it's, it's been a joy. Thank you. I, and, and I appreciate you sharing. And I know earlier you referenced, you know, that you, um, you started this when uh, your fiance was finishing, you know, his PhD. And, um, you know, often as I speak with folks um, on through the show, and just in my in the field, um, colleagues that I know in the field, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how our personal stories um, intertwine with our you know, the path that we take and how closely intertwined they are and, and how things that happen in our personal life really, uh, you know, spur us wherever we may end up going. For some people, not, but for a lot of people, um, especially when there's a pivot, um, which I would say, you know, a pivot in terms of like where you thought you were going to go and where you ended up. Um, so I, I do appreciate you sharing um, sharing that piece. Uh, so there, so you said you were an academic and you were planning to go into the academy and then this, you know, sort of passion uh, developed in grad school for you. So talk to us a little bit about how you built um, your business and, you know, how you went from, I'm assuming, you know, because in the academy, that's not really, we're not really taught how to build a business, right? We're, we're taught our academic <laughs> field and our academic scholarly skills, uh, which doesn't always translate <laughs> directly to uh, directly, indirectly, I think there's a lot of characteristics that you gain in the academy that I think are necessary for building your own business. But talk to us a little bit about that process um, and early on um, of transitioning into uh, being an entrepreneur and building that business. Great. Uh, so I would say that I was doing quite a bit of learning my last semester in grad school about the topics that I train most about and that I work with for clients. So social media, website, how to write online, um, online presence was something that I was researching a lot at the very end of my grad school career. Um, and I think I might have been the only one on the team that was spending like all of my hours either working or learning because I was really passionate about this project. Um, and so when I got out of grad school, I, I, I was graduating. I was very excited because I knew I was starting this business. Um, and I remember that I had I had been a finalist for the Outstanding Master's Award um, at, at the university. And the dean of the graduate school asked me, you know, oh, do you have any clients lined up? And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> I do not. <laughs> And it was it was so scary to admit to to someone who I respected um, that I really didn't have the concrete plan that people probably expected of me, um, and that felt very strange for me. I'm someone who. Um, took care of myself a lot growing up. Uh, both my parents passed away before I went to college. And so I've been on my own for a long time. Doing something that's scary is like not really in my wheelhouse. Doing something that's new or untenable or unsecure is not a chance I would have taken on myself uh, before this relationship and before the love that I found um, that really encouraged that kind of security for me to take the risk. Um, now, when I 
first got out of grad school, I didn't have any clients. I didn't really know what my projects were going to be because I didn't know much about business. Um, I felt like I was really struggling to get set up and to learn what I needed. Uh, but I was really lucky that my godmother, uh, who I love very much, helped give me a little bit of startup capital so that I could hire an accountant, so that I could hire a legal advisor um, and have someone who can look over my contracts. Having that kind of support at the very beginning made a big difference for me because it made me realize where I needed to learn more to be able to be effective in my business. Um, so for instance, I knew I needed to learn more about marketing, not for the people that I was working with, but for myself, I needed to know how to have a business website um, that was actually going to help people explore the services that I offer. Um, and how to attract people to that website um, was an entirely new, new type of content marketing for me. And creating the blog, The Social Academic, and the interview series on YouTube is what came out of that. Um, so there were a lot of things that I had to learn, and some of it had to do with the logistics of running a business, But the thing that really took the longest amount of time was figuring out the services that I was offering. Uh, figuring out what academics needed is different from what they tell you. It's different from what they think they need. And it's different from what you think they need, uh, or at least what I thought that they needed in the beginning. Um, so I really had to adapt to meet people where they're at, um, to help ensure that the lifestyle that they wanted and, and, and the time that they needed for their research stayed intact. Um, so I had to adapt a lot of what I was doing and how I was working with clients to better meet the schedules of the people I most wanted to help. Um, for instance, having an online calendar, uh, I use Acuity Scheduling. I think it might be called Squarespace Scheduling now. Uh, but I use this online calendar that allows professors who have meetings with me um, to reschedule quite easily um, if something comes up, which happens a lot um, with senior academics who are in meetings all day. Um, they need to be able to reschedule. And that's not something that I would have necessarily considered unless I had had that legal advisor who told me how important it was for them them. Um, so I had to learn a lot of different things. And I, I only learned it because I was willing to reach out to the people that I'd hired and the people that I'd sought out to help me learn those things. It made a really big difference for me to actually tell people that I didn't know anything about something because it encouraged them to um, feel like they could, could educate me on it and help me learn more. Um, so I did a lot of telling people, I'm, I don't know anything about this. Can you help me? And people were very generous with their time. Mm -hmm. Well, I commend you on that because that is a very counterintuitive <laughs> to <laughs> how we are taught and, you know, um, socialized in the academy, right? We don't often, <laughs> we're not often trained to be like, well, I actually don't know anything about that. Um, but I, I think that very much speaks to just an openness to learn and, and a willingness to learn. Um, and, and actually, you, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that um, ability to do that and to say that I don't know something is what helps me the most when working with clients. Um, so I work with people in every field, even though I, I'm in humanities myself. I work with people in sciences and medical research and, and political sciences and social sciences. So I work with everyone. Um, and a lot of my ability to be able to work with those people is to say, I really don't know anything about your subject. If I can understand it during our work together, I can help more people understand it. Um, and that will be really lasting in your online presence. So being able to admit I don't know something is a skill that I'm proud of. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, and I think too, we, we kind of get in our little siloed holes of, you know, our research, our areas of expertise, and then everything just sort of feels natural and calm. You know what I mean? Like it's so, it becomes so second nature to, to you and you're in it that you almost forget how to see it through the eyes of someone who has no idea about that area. So I can see that being a very useful skill um, in what you do. And, and I want to circle back. You talked about, um, you hit on a lot of different things there that I feel like it's important to name and, 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 you know, I've been doing that in these um, conversations about being an entrepreneur because there are are a lot of um, risks involved, um, financial risks, and you know, naming that there are um, you know challenges for some folks, may, maybe to access to resources. That there's some level of uh, risk. You know, it's not a steady, it's not a steady paycheck. And there's you know other folks that I've talked with have talked about that. Sometimes when you're transitioning from one thing to the next, the next thing isn't fully. Um, evolved. It's not fully established. It's not fully set up. You're sort of in between. And that can, that can also be really scary. Um, and, uh, so just kind of naming that and recognizing that and, and, you know, you very kindly, you know, gave credit to the folks in your life who are willing to offer assistance and resources, whether that be financial capital or just information and knowledge. Um, so I appreciate you being candid about that. Um, so what are, speaking of that, what, what would you say are some of the benefits of being an academic entrepreneur? And then on the flip side, maybe some of the challenges that you've experienced as an academic entrepreneur. The biggest benefit for me so far is um, the diversity of people that I've, I've gotten to work with. Um, and I get to work with people really closely um, in the kind of in-depth way where I get to learn about their research. I get to learn about what makes them tick. I get to learn about why they do what they do and why it helps people, like why it matters. Um, and being around that kind of energy just invigorates me. Um, it's something that I didn't recognize until I started doing this kind of work because I, I honestly didn't feel it in the classroom. I would say I was good at teaching, uh, but I didn't get uh, over my anxiety ever. <laughs> I'm a very introverted person. And I realized that I could still have the kind of teaching experience or, or, or learning, co-learning experience with the people that I'm working with in these different settings. Um, so really figuring out how I could take the things that I was passionate about, the things that I was good at, um, and put it into the kind of lifestyle that I think I needed um, was both the challenge and the benefit. Um, now I really have the lifestyle that makes sense for me as an introvert. I get to work with people from my home office and I get to work with people online when it makes sense for them. It means I get to work with people all around the world. One of my favorite clients was in Australia last year um, and I was up, you know, maybe later at night than what a lot of people like to do to be able to have facilitate these meetings and, and these interviews for their strategic plan. Uh, but it was something that I loved doing. Doing and getting to meet people all over the world, getting to work with them um, when it makes sense for them. I didn't know it was something that I wanted, but it's something that works perfectly for my lifestyle and the kind of work that I want to do. I also love that people need help with me, um, not just with social media, but with their bio writing and with their personal websites or their lab websites. Um, doing varied work is also a major benefit for me. I, I don't think I've ever been bored. Um, and maybe that's why I keep doing this in, in the kind of way where I, I keep evolving is because I see new areas that I can help. I see ways 
ways that I can help the people that I've worked with before again. Um, and I see how that how impactful that can be for the people around them. Um, and so I, I, I just love what I do. And I think that there's so many benefits. I, I can't imagine doing anything else right now. So before, before I would say when I was in grad school and even before that, like I was willing to consider different options for my life, but right now, like I really can't see me doing anything else. Are there challenges to it for you? I would say that the challenges are financial and time-wise. So it is pretty inconsistent in terms of when people are purchasing services. Um, I would say that the pandemic has made it far more sporadic. Um, And it's been pretty difficult because the timeline from when someone reaches out to me to to when they can actually sign their contract has almost doubled because of the pandemic and some of the hoops that people have to jump through for funding. Um, And a lot of funding places closed down temporarily or um, had to redirect funds for for different purposes. Um, So there there was a slow summer for me this past summer. And And then all of a sudden last month, everything picked up and all of a sudden, everyone was like, oh, I'm ready for my academic website again. <laughs> so it's, it goes up and down. I would say that's the biggest challenge for me. Um, this was the first year where I was able to pay myself really consistently and like have payroll and taxes going out and like all of that stuff. Um, so I was really proud of myself. And then the summer hit and I was like, oh, well, it's not quite as steady as I thought it was. And I just have to become comfortable with that. Yeah. So you've been doing this for a number of years now. Um, Mm -hmm. What are some of the most impactful lessons that you've learned in that time? And it can be, you know, you could take that question in any one of the threads we've been exploring today in the content, you know, area of of your expertise, how you've learned and expanded in that. And then also just the experience um, of, you know, being an academic entrepreneur and structuring your career that way. So for my business as an entrepreneur, the lesson that I've learned that's really just helped me the most is to find people who I can rally with, like who who can who I can be friends with, but also support each other in our businesses. So I do have a women's business group that I get to meet with regularly, and we we have a Slack channel, and we get to talk a lot um, about the 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 work that we're we're doing, and and making sure that we have that kind of motivation and support for each other, and that has been such a blessing. I mean, it's really the kind of community that I didn't know I could have as an entrepreneur because it's such a solo thing. Like, like I'm here alone in my office. Right. But having that online group where I can have conversations and talk with people about what I'm doing made that community feel like a supportive one. Um, and, and like one that was going to help propel me in my, in my business and propel me to help more people. Um, and so that's been a really helpful lesson. Finding people that you can talk with about what you're doing, about your entrepreneurship can make a big difference. It certainly did for me. Um, now, the lesson that I've learned most for the people that I work with for for more of the services stuff it, it, is that everyone's online presence is really going to be different. Everyone has a different amount of time. Everyone has had different goals that I've worked with. Um, and so there really is not a one size fits all answer to your online presence, to your social media or a personal website. Um, there just isn't. Um, and so 
that is something that people don't really like to hear, right? They want they want to know that there's an answer out there for them, and that if they just find it, that that will be that will be the path that that makes sense for them. Um, but there isn't, and so that's why working on strategy with me, but also reading my blog resources that that are asking asking these questions about what you want to share on your website um, can make a difference. Um, and I think that the more introspective side of your online presence and what you want out of it is the key to having the online presence that that makes sense for you long term. Is there anything we didn't talk about today that you want to be sure we include in the conversation? I just want to make I just want to make sure we didn't miss anything for you. Um I just want to say that there is hope. Like any small change that you make to your bio, to your LinkedIn profile or your social media, any small change that you do to improve how you're communicating with people or what you're sharing about yourself is going to make a difference. So you shouldn't feel like you need to change everything overnight. Even changing a couple of sentences or a couple of words in your in your in your bio is going to make a difference. So I encourage you think about one small thing that you can do to improve your online presence today. Maybe it's updating your LinkedIn headline. Maybe it's um, you know adding your contact information to your bio so next time someone can find you if they see your bio online. Try that because any small change makes a difference. Thank you. So as this is my final question, um, as we're getting ready to, to close, um, often we don't get a chance to share the stories that really matter to us that have shaped our lives and put us on the paths we're on today. So can you share one piece of advice you received that really impacted you? That's a great question. I'm trying to think, I've received so much wonderful advice, but the best advice that I've received I think it's that asking questions is what will allow you to connect with people more. Someone told me that in undergrad, and I remember thinking that asking questions felt like interrogating people, like it felt like invasive. And maybe that's because I, I felt alone in the world myself. And like if someone was asking me a lot of questions, maybe they didn't want to see me in that space or something. Like I felt like questions could be bad. But that advice really changed how I communicated with people in my personal life, but also in my professional life, being comfortable asking people questions. Or, or like I said earlier, saying that I don't know something um, has served me really well. And I think that that's probably the thing that has impacted me most um, long term in terms of the advice I've received. Thank you. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing about your company, The Academic Designer, LLC, and your work as a communication strategist. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you, Dana. I'm Dr. Dana Malone. This is The Academic Life, and you've been listening to New Books Network. Please join us again.